Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Within my culture, it's very common for children to support their families as their parents get older, as is with many communities of color. And so for me, it wasn't something that I had to think about and make a decision on. For me personally, it's the norm. And I know that that's something that a lot of people may not understand. There may be people who say, no, 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 anything in life is a decision and you can choose whether or not you're going to accept that. But I've already internalized and I happily accept this responsibility. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Hola, mi gente. This is Janice, and you're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I am so glad to have you back here for another amazing episode. Today's episode is going to touch on a topic that a lot of us as people of color, communities of color, something that we face very often when we're on our own money journeys. It's the idea of having to support our families financially while trying to balance our own money goals. So I hope that this episode provides a lot of insightful information for you in order to be able to balance those two obligations because it is something that a lot of us face and a lot of us have to plan for. 
In this episode, we're going to be talking to Sarah, a teacher and teacher leader for New York City Public Schools and creator of Savvy Saving Squad, her Instagram page where she shares savvy savings and financial tips and tricks. Born and raised in Brooklyn, she's the daughter of low-income Moroccan immigrants. After earning two master's degrees, she is now a doctoral student for educational leadership, administration, and policy, which she is cash flowing. So listen to find out more about that. Sarah has managed to build a lucrative career as an educator, earning six figures in a field where many don't come close to that salary. She is debt-free and pursuing financial independence with her husband, and she's also managing to help her family financially while reaching her own money goals. You can follow Sarah on Instagram at Savvy Saving Squad. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. It is an absolute pleasure. Why don't you start off with introducing yourself to the audience? Absolutely. So hi, everybody. My name is Sarah from Savvy Saving Squad. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the daughter of low-income Moroccan immigrants. I'm a teacher and teacher leader for New York City Public Schools for over eight years now, continuing onward, of course. And after earning two master's degrees, I'm now a doctoral student in an educational leadership administration and policy program. Okay, so you just get degrees on degrees on degrees, girlfriend. Good for you. <laughs> Pretty much. You know it. Thank you. That's amazing. So I want to talk first about your relationship with money. I love starting the interviews off with this because it really helps me understand kind of how you've built your relationship with money. And it really helps guests connect or it helps listeners connect with the guests on our podcast. So can you talk us through that? What did you learn about money growing up? Absolutely. So growing up in a household in an inner city with low-income parents who are also immigrants, money wasn't really readily available, right? My parents definitely did the best that they could with what they had, but the two things that were really prioritized for them were budgeting as well as saving. My father worked in a field that wasn't necessarily consistent. He did a lot of contracting work, supporting with windows and other construction related manners. And so for him, there would be certain seasons of his life where there would be an abundance of clients that he can support with the jobs that were needed of him. And then there were months where because of the weather, he wasn't able to do anything. And so for him, being the primary breadwinner of the household, he really needed to prioritize budgeting and saving for those rainy days. And unfortunately, those rainy days happen often. 
My mom didn't start working until I began school and she basically only worked during my K through 12 education. And so it was only then that she was able to generate some funds where she really had to prioritize her expenses and savings, but oftentimes it still wasn't enough we were still considered low income. And so if there were things that I really wanted, I kind of had to hustle for it, right? There was no such thing as school is starting and you can buy whatever you need for school. It was more of you can pick one new pair of sneakers for the year and you can choose one or two new outfits for the year. And that was it. So I really had to implement this idea of budgeting and saving if I ever did generate an income, whether it be childhood gifts or whatever, or if I was in high school and working part-time. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. I think that story definitely resonates with a lot of listeners to the podcast. And I think it has either a negative or positive impact when you come from a place of lack. It can become your mindset and then you have this fear about money and this scarcity mindset, or you can use it as a way to drive your future decisions so that you don't have to experience the same thing that you did as a kid, as an adult. And I have a feeling that for you, it was definitely the latter because you're out here getting degrees, getting educations, which I'm pretty sure is to ensure that you have a level of financial comfort and stability that you didn't grow up with. One thousand percent correct. So talk about that. Talk me through your career and kind of how you got in this space of educating people about money. Yeah. So I went to a private university in New York City. And the only reason why I was able to attend this university was because of my parents' low income status and qualifying for the full Pell Grant, right? So in New York City, you have your private schools, you have your New York State schools, and then you have your New York City schools. And so for me, I could have attended a city university and have essentially qualified for full financial aid at the time. But having been accepted to this really awesome private university, I was able to achieve that full Pell Grant, but also be part of different programs that support financially based on my needs, as well as merit-based scholarships that I earn. So instead of paying about $45,000 a year in tuition, I had to pay about $5,000 a year. So instead of paying 160K over the course of four years, I only paid about 20. So for me, I distinctly remember being informed during high school about these loans that I would have to apply for. And my first year, I'll never forget, I took out one loan. I didn't really understand what it meant. I didn't really understand how interest worked for loans. And I took out one loan to cover that particular year's expenses. And my mother being extremely, extremely angry about that. And so Mm -hmm. she said, there's no reason that I am able to have a work study qualifications and I'm able to work during my time in college and should be taking out a loan that I'm going to have to pay back potentially with interest. And so she basically lit a fire under me and like scared me so heavily because my parents were super against credit cards and loans and anything related to debt growing up. And so I was like, okay, okay, you got it. And so I was working consistently during my time in college. There were certain years where I was working retail and I was tutoring at my school and I had work study and I did work study full time in the summers. And I really just 
worked enough to one, not only provide for meals for myself and just like general expenses that college kids want to have, but also to pay for my tuition by myself. I understood that by making this decision to go to this private university, whatever that would have to be paid would have to come out of my pocket due to the financial obstacles that my parents were facing. And so with that being said, I distinctly remember my senior year having paid off that loan as well before graduating. So I didn't have to worry about any interest or anything of that nature. And so when I was a senior, I applied um, to an organization called Teach for America, where I was able to gain my position in teaching. And with Teach for America, one of the reasons why I was really intrigued by the program was because I always knew I wanted to work with low-income youth because that's exactly who I was. So I wanted to serve in the community that I grew up in and I was a part of. And so they also mentioned how in New York City, to become a teacher, you have to have a master's within the first five years of teaching. And so they offered an affiliation with the university I attended for undergrad where I was able to gain like an AmeriCorps grant. I was able to attend school and have much of the tuition covered. And so because I was able to work full time as a teacher, I too said, I'm not taking out a loan to pay for a portion of this tuition that I can just pay by myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I paid that off as I was working. And then came the, how can I earn more income within this field of teaching and I learned about all the different salary steps and differentials and so I was like I'm trying to max this differential how can I get to this last year before the age of 30 and basically it was to get a second master's degree right so if you got your master's and additional 30 credits you max out that differential and so I figured let me get a dual licensure and my first one was in special education I wanted my second one in biology and so I was like, let me get that second master's, but how can I do it for really, really cheap? Because I'm not trying to pay so mm -hmm. much extra money for another degree. And so that's when I learned about teacher loan forgiveness. And I knew I worked for a school that qualified for the five years of working at a Title I priority school. And so I knew I qualified for that $17,500. And so I decided to get my second master's degree, which was around that price tuition-wise in biology. And I qualified for that forgiveness. And then I had my husband do the same thing. So you got your second master's for free? If we want to be technical, that is correct. Oh my gosh. That is the ultimate hustle. Wow. Amazing. And so what I want listeners to know too is not only are you did you obtain the second master's for free, but now you're cash flowing your doctorate. I am. When people think of doctorates, you know, they assume it's the person who's in school full time and the school pays them a stipend to have something to live off of. And I could have gone that route. I could have gotten a PhD in education leadership and I would have been able to just focus on school, be a student full time, go to school for four to five years, focus solely on the research, have my degree paid for, tuition covered, and maybe got 30 to 40K, depending on the school. Again, if I'm looking at this like really generous school, anywhere from like 20 to 40K paid as a stipend for being a student. But for me, that's not feasible. Why? Because 
I don't only support my household, you know, being part of my marriage, but I also still support my family, my parents. And so the option I decided to go for was the doctor of education route, which is an EDD. And so it's still a doctoral degree, but it's very practice with research based. And so with EDDs, it's designed with the intention of people being able to work full time because you're practitioners in the field of research. And so why would I want to give up my 100K plus earnings annually to have maybe 30 to 40K and free tuition when I'm not currently in debt and I can just budget accordingly and pay for that tuition and maybe earn some scholarships, of course, that can be available, but still earn my income, support my household, support my parents' household, invest my money to make even more, and have my pension, have my 401k, and engage in my investment, my years of investment. Why would I want to give that up to just get a few thousand a year and maybe have tuition covered? So for me, fiscally, it made more sense to continue to work. And don't get me wrong, it's a lot of work working and going to school, (laughs) but it's designed and I have people in my cohort who are doing the same thing that I am. So fiscally, it made more sense to me. Yeah, I think your story just goes to show the value in preparation and planning. There are so many opportunities out there, but a lot of the obstacles that people face is just knowing what their options are. And I think it can be overwhelming doing that research, but it sounds like you have found a way to become a really good decision maker. Can you attribute that characteristic to anything in particular? Yeah. So again, my parents were immigrants in this country who any decision they made would have absolutely impacted the trajectory of my life, right? And so I was able to see my parents be responsible with their decision-making. And so even though I was young and maybe not understanding and frustrated certain times, like having family vacations that were at the Jersey Shore wasn't my idea of this glamorous family vacation, right? But growing up and realizing while they were able to do the best they can with what they had, they were being responsible instead of just being like, you know what? No, I'm going to swipe a credit card and treat this person, treat my children to this glamorous vacation so that they could feel good about it at that moment. But then they're going to see some struggles that we're going to have after as a result of it. And my parents were very upfront, you know, they definitely had some commentary about finances that maybe weren't the most positive for sure, but they definitely helped me realize like the decisions you make are going to impact you. And so it's important to be reflective in that process and make sure you're considering all of the factors that could be influenced. And this doesn't mean that you keep thinking about it and waiting on it, but just be thoughtful about it. And if the intention is good, that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. So let's talk about this because this is a topic that a lot of people in our community as people of color face, which is the prospect of having to financially support their parents. And so this is something that you've been doing since the age of 22, correct? That is correct. 
So tell me about what that looks like on a practical level. How do you actually factor your parents into your budget? And why did you decide to take on that responsibility? Absolutely. Thanks for asking that. So in my culture, I identify as someone who's MENA, Middle Eastern, North African, particularly North African of Moroccan ethnicity. And so within my culture, it's very common for children to support their families as their parents get older, as is with many communities of color. And so for me, it wasn't something that I had to think about and make a decision on. For me personally, it's the norm. And I know that that's something that a lot of people may not understand. There may be people who say, no, 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 anything in life is a decision and you can choose whether or not you're going to accept that. But I've already internalized and I happily accept this responsibility. So for me, this whole conversation regarding like debt and loans and consumer debt and all of these ways that people can kind of get trapped at different moments in their lives is something that I knew I needed to avoid because of the heavy responsibilities I had at an early age, right? Mm -hmm. When I was 22, graduating from college, my mom lost her job. And I distinctly remember my mother's health declining and her saying like, I don't know who's going to hire me. I don't know how I'm going to be able to stand and work. And I specifically told her, what's the point? I'm in college now. You literally left your entire family in Morocco to come here to be able to provide me and my brother with a better education and opportunities. And that's exactly what I did. I'm not going to let you coming to this country go to waste. I'm going to make you proud. So I told her she's not going to work again. And I'm going to contribute with alongside my father, her portion of any expenses. And so rather than making this something between my dad and I, I just simply paid her. So while many 22-year-olds may graduate college and rent an apartment with roommates, my parents were my roommates, and I provided my portion of the rent that I simply gave to my mother and let her handle it however she deemed appropriate. And so as I got older, that cycle continued. My brother's two years younger than me. Same thing happened with him. He graduated. He's also a teacher. Is that teacher. And let me tell you, that boy is making bank right now. So I'm so proud of him. We are definitely teacher hustlers. So he's also contributing. And then I got married. And I'm very fortunate to be married to a person who understood very clearly, listen, I'm not entering this partnership with any debts, but my parents are considered an expense. They're an expense that I allot as one of my fixed expenses in my budget. And so this is the allotted amount that I have to provide biweekly. And if this is something you can accept, then beautiful. And if this is something you cannot accept, you need to figure it out because this is part of my package, right? And Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Definitely, he's just an incredible person who does understand. And I remember speaking with the peer before and they were just like, you don't have student loan payments, but you have your parent payments. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm okay with that because I feel like God truly does bless me with so many opportunities within my field and just makes everything I do extremely fruitful. And I, I do attribute that to supporting my parents, but also engaging in charitable donations on a regular basis. I absolutely love this. I'm like over here trying not to cry because your story absolutely resonates with me so much. I am the oldest of two and you know very well, I'm out here hustling, building all these businesses and doing all of this stuff because I know that I am going to have to be in the same exact position. As of this moment, my parents are still working. Mm -hmm. God was looking out for them in that respect. But I know at some point it's not going to be something that's possible for them anymore. And I know their financial situation is not going to allow them to have the type of retirement that they have rightfully earned. And so- the motivation behind everything that I do definitely stems from them and just wanting to somehow repay them for all of the work that they have done to provide me with opportunities for the sacrifices that they've done. And I look at it not as a burden, like you said, as a blessing to even be able to do that. Absolutely. Okay. I'm super, super inspired by your story and we're just getting started. So I want to talk about you and your Decision to become an influencer in this personal finance space. Where did that come from? Yeah, so I remember I teach two of my classes, several of my classes, depending on the year, with a co-teacher. So um, last year, I had a new co-teacher. Her first year in the Department of Education, public school system, she had formerly worked for corporate America wasn't feeling fulfilled and wanted to become an educator. And so we were fortunately paired together. She was one of my co-teachers for um, several of our sections. And so she had a lot of questions 
questions regarding our retirement plans, questions regarding our pension, questions regarding our car days, meaning personal versus sick days, questions regarding just anything New York City Department of Education related, union related, anything. And so I would constantly share things that I would do and like provide her with some tips and tricks. And I distinctly remember us sitting together one day and she said, you are so dang savvy. And I started (laughs) laughing. And she was like, you need to like share this with everyone. And I told her, I said, actually, I do. When I worked for teaching organizations in the summer, I would hold like new teacher professional development. And it would literally be called how to make money in the DOE. And I would put them on to everything. And I've always gotten really good feedback about that. And she's the one who told me her former career was in marketing, actually. And she's the one who said, well, why don't you make a social media and share this publicly? And I looked at her like, girl, nobody wants to listen to me. Like, you know, like, how am I going to find teachers or this or that? I was like, it's fine. I'll just share it with people I know. And she was like, no, Sarah, seriously, you should make like an anonymous Instagram and just use hashtags and you never know. And so I was like, I think that's a pretty cool idea. And I did try it. And I tried it out. And right now I'm over 3K strong. And I'm like, wow, this is great. So I decided to treat it as a kind of like a personal space where I'm sharing my journey of like, How have I been able to save? What are my current saving goals? What are my saving tips and tricks? But also an informative page. People learn best with infographics. So having people be able to learn about things related to budgeting, things related to expenses, things related to income streams, anything, things related to personal finance literacy and education, things related to taxes. I just want to be able to share insights in a very user-friendly, visually appealing way for people to be able to say, oh, snap, I learned something new. I can try to apply that. I am an educator through and through in every single thing that I do. And so that's how I'm definitely treating my Savvy Saving Squad page. Yes, your content is on fire. It is so informative. It definitely just the way you pack information into that little square. It's just (laughs) phenomenal. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about your best practices for your money. What are some essential tips that you can share about budgeting and saving that have positively impacted you that you feel can benefit most people? So there's so many different budgeting techniques out there, and each person is different. And oftentimes, people tend to merge different types of budgeting techniques. So for me, the top two that I say I, for the most part, incorporate would be the pay yourself first and the 50-30-20 budget. So what that means is for pay yourself first, it's basically what it says, right? You want to be able to take a portion of whatever it is that you're making, and you want to be able to allot that to you first before handling any other expense. So for me, I am officially maxing out my retirement plan, ensuring that that income is taken out before I can even see it or touch it. My husband and I decide on a yearly savings goal for let's say a house deposit, let's say an emergency fund or what other plan that we have. And we work backwards to decide, well, how much would that cost us in a month? So then how much would that cost us every check? And that amount 
we ensure that it is sent over to our savings account each pay cycle. So we pay ourselves first. Next, I try to adhere to the best of my ability to the 50-30-20 budget. Now, usually the 50-30-20 budget is 50% needs. So those are your expenses, such as rent, bills, car payments, groceries, things that you're going to have to have every single month, no matter what. Elizabeth Warren coined this budget and 30% is allotted to wants, 20% to savings, but my husband and I actually flip it. We try to have a minimum of 30% to savings and 20% to wants. With coronavirus, I think we've been like 40% to savings and 10% to wants because there hasn't been very much to do. We're big travelers and fortunately, but also understandably, we haven't really been able to travel as often as we'd like this year. And so we ensure that our savings are allotted into our sinking funds, which are the different things that we want to save up for throughout the entire year, as well as our larger savings goals, such as the house style payment, fingers crossed for a multifamily in the near future. And then of course, the wants, those are your subscriptions, date nights, travel outings, and stuff like that. So for the most part, I would say we're pay ourselves first. 50-30-20. I love that. I follow a very similar plan. I would say I'm more pay yourself first oriented and my percentages fluctuate just based on additional income that comes from my different income streams. But I love the idea of just really setting aside money for your long-term and short-term goals before you even start spending it. That has been a game changer for me. Absolutely. So along with budgeting and saving, we know that the key to building real wealth is also investing. So I'm curious what your journey has been like as an investor. How do you invest currently? Do you have plans to change that in the future? Yeah. So when I first started teaching, no matter what, every teacher gets a certain amount based on their salary put towards the pension plan for the city. And so I'm very fortunate to be a public school city employee where I do qualify for a pension. So that has been something that has been happening without me even signing up for it or realizing it. Um, and it wasn't until my third year of teaching that people kept talking about what we call in the DOE a TDA, a tax deferred annuity. And so I would hear TDA, 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 and that wasn't jargon that I was ever familiar with. Yeah, in high school, I heard the term 401k but I never heard TDA. So I didn't yeah, really I have no idea what that is. Yeah, I was like, what's that? But it's basically a 401k slash 403b because we're a public institution, but it's called a tax deferred annuity. So it's a fancy way of saying 401k, 403b. So basically it's your $19,500 limit every single year. And I didn't learn about that really in much more detail until my third year of teaching. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm going to do 5%. Third, fourth year, I did 5%. Fifth, sixth year, I did 10%. Seventh, eighth year, I did 15%. And now that I'm in my ninth year and next year, 10th year, I am maxing. So at 20%, I am maxing my TDA. I am maxing my $19,500 contribution annually. And for me, and my husband too, we agreed that we are going to ensure that this is a fixed percentage in the money market. So we want to make sure that in the S&P 500 or whatever plan that they use, 
We wanted to just be insured our guaranteed percentage when we retire, which is 7%. And in just keeping it fixed at 7%, being extremely conservative, fixed rate 7% from now on, we are projected to have over $2.5 million when we retire. Wow. So the fund that you guys are investing in is tied to the S&P 500 or? Yes. Okay. It's, a, it's into the stock market. That is correct. And so it wasn't until my 30th birthday this past summer that through Savvy Saving, my Savvy Saving page, I've been learning a lot more about brokerage accounts. And so we have definitely dabbled in our Roth IRAs. I've even done a traditional IRA. And so it wasn't until I learned about different types of index funds that you could just invest whatever you want, whenever you want, as much as you want, as often as you want through the different companies that you choose, whether it's Vanguard, Fidelity, Edward Jones, et cetera. And so I decided for my 30th birthday, I wanted to gift myself an index fund. Yeah. And so I opened up my index fund and put my $3,000 minimum to start your investing through Vanguard. And I did that. And now my husband and I agreed when we got our quarterly fellowship payments, because we're part of a really dope fellowship for master science and math teachers in New York City. When we got those quarterly stipend payments, we're going to invest a portion of that into our brokerage. So that's where we're like, we can be as aggressive as we want because we have our fixed percent for our retirement investments. But here we could just be all in as aggressive as we need to be because at least we have that backup. And so we've been having a lot of fun seeing the growth, however little or however big through that brokerage account. And we're really excited to keep it growing. So I already told him once the tuition payments cease, it's going to go directly into that account. I love that. That's amazing. And yeah, I mean, you guys are basically getting free money to then make more money. So why not? Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm curious, do you guys see yourself doing the whole, I guess, full-time career for the foreseeable future? Because I feel like the way that you guys save and invest, you could probably become financially independent way sooner than a lot of people. Oh my gosh, you're so right. Because I remember distinctly looking up the pension calculator and I started teaching at 22, retirement's at 63. I'm going to be 41 years into my field before I can technically get what you call the full package benefits. And if I calculate what I'm making, like what the last tier for the last salary step is in the DOE right now, which we know is obviously going to increase in the next 30 years, just my pension alone, I'll be making $10,000 a month just my pension alone. And so I would think about it like, well, technically I could retire earlier. You know, we have the brokerage. I can take a slight penalty, blah, blah, blah. But I don't want to. I love what I do. I want to be a teacher. If I could be a teacher for the rest of my life, I will. If the goal or the plan God has for me is to become an assistant principal, a principal, a superintendent, then that's what I'm going to do. If I'm supposed to be the chancellor of a school district, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I kind of feel like is missing a little bit in the social media world. I feel like a lot of people, and again, it is what it is. If people are very unhappy with what they're doing and they just want to use that as a source of income to then push them into a field that they do want to do, that's great. 
but I'm doing what I love and I can do it for however long I need to. I just want to ensure that financially, one, I have the responsibility of supporting my parents' household as co-supporting, co-supporting my parents' household as well as my own household. But two, why not have generational wealth for my kids and my grandkids while still doing what I love? I feel like I would love to see more people in the space that are like, nah, I love what I do and I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to keep making money doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and I have money doing it. And so Absolutely. that's what I want to show. Like you can love what you do and make a lot of money too. Yeah, that's such an important message. And you're right. There are not that many stories of people that genuinely are passionate about their careers, but are also committed to squeezing all of the financial benefits that you can get out of it in a way that's completely authentic to who you are and doesn't feel like you're compromising your morals or your happiness. For you, take advantage. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So what advice do you have to give to someone who's ready to get control of their finances, maybe has been struggling with getting a system in place that's going to work for them? What do you have to say? All I have to say is that you can do it and you can do it right now. There is no need to wait. There's no need to look for something that can help and this and that. Nope. All you need is your paycheck. You look at that paycheck. You see how much you make. You figure out what are those expenses that you have every single month as a non-negotiable and you can make a plan just based off of that. There's so many free resources found in the debt-free community, FIRE community, Etsy places, so many different resources that are available, so many helpful tools, and so many people just sharing the knowledge and wealth. All you need is a paycheck, a paycheck, and you can start that plan, and you can do that right now. I love that. That's the hardest part, guys. The hardest part is literally deciding that you're going to do something different and just going with it. And you don't have to get it right right away. You can test out different budget methods. You can test out different apps. You can do whatever tweaks you need to make because the most important thing is that the system works for you. That's right. What is your money mantra, Sarah? I'm the woman with a $1,000 bag and way more than 100000 in it. <laughs> I love that. Tell me a little bit about what, why that resonated with you. So for me, I know a lot of people are particularly frugal in different ways. And don't get me wrong, so am I. But I believe that if you stick to your budget, there's nothing wrong with having something nice and treating yourself once in a while. So every time I get a new degree, <laughs> I treat myself to a really nice bag. Okay. Yes. So for me, it's like you see those posts that are like, oh, you have the expensive bag, but less than this much in it. For me, it's like, no, boo-boo. I have the $1,000 bag, the 800 plus credit score, and way more than 100,000 net worth in it. So I know that's right. I did the same thing, y'all. I went and bought a Louis Vuitton in Paris after I became debt-free because, because why not? You okay. can have the finer things in life too. Why not? You can have both. You just got to be savvy about it. That's all. That's it. Oh my gosh. This combo has been amazing, Sarah. So for people that want to find out more about you and follow your journey, where can we find you? Please follow me at Savvy Saving Squad for my personal finance journey and unique tips and tricks to help you become more savvier with your own finances. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.
I hope that this episode makes you feel seen and heard because I think it's so important for us to talk about the realities of our financial situations as people of color. We face very unique cultural and systemic issues that really have a huge impact on our ability to build wealth, save money, and pay off debt. Because if you're a first-gen kid who is the first in your family to go to college, the first in your family to earn six figures, the first in your family to start a business, you probably feel this pressure of not just lifting up yourself, but those around you. And it's important to acknowledge those realities and give yourself some grace for feeling pressure about it. It's a real thing. And I just want you to know that you're not alone in the struggle. So I hope that this conversation gives you some comfort. I hope that it inspires you to talk about this with your friends and family, because the more that we normalize the fact that personal finance looks very different depending on where you're born, who your parents are, where you live, and what you do for work, the more we can break the stigma around money for our communities. So until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.